Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing app for small businesses that saves time and gets you paid faster. Join over 3.5 million FreshBooks users and try the service for free and get 30 days of unlimited use at FreshBooks.com. And be sure to let them know that you heard about it on TWIP. This week on TWIP, Apple beats Samsung, Ikea goes 3D, Sony and Samsung release smart cameras, photography at the speed of light, and an interview with Matthew Jordan Smith. It's Wednesday, August 29th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on this week's show to d- discuss the happenings in the photography world are Mr. Dan Ablin, Sarah France, and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Hey. There's a little voice in there. <laughs> Hi. A squirrel. <laughs> a squirrel. All right. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. And as I was uh, threatening to do at the beginning, I've gotten some feedback from people that, you know, it's it's weird. I get 50-50 feedback. Some people are saying, oh, I love the show. It's, I love the length. I listen to it on my commute and all this. And then another, I'd say maybe 40%, 30% of the audience say, dude, really? 90 minutes, two hours? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think, you know, the show itself isn't really changing. It's the interviews that stretch it to that long. So to that end, we're going to, we're going to take a little bit off the midsection of TWIP 270 and uh, try to please everybody as if we could Keep ever do it tight. That. Keep it tight. Keep it tight. Yeah. And on that topic, uh, some of the things that we're going to be talking about on today's show are Apple and the verdict versus Samsung. So we all know about that. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit and how it impacts photographers, um, and if it impacts photographers at all. We're also going to talk about IKEA choosing to move to the virtual world over photography, and we're also going to talk. About, uh, there's a couple little smatterings of things that I want to hit on, but one of the big things in here is the Sony and Samsung are moving. We, we reported on Nikon. I think it was Nikon reporting or incorporating Android, the Android operating system, into a point-and-shoot. Now it looks like Sony and Samsung are doing that, too. So we're seeing this wave of these mm-hmm. customizable cameras pick up the pace, as we talked about on TWIP, what, four years ago or something? I don't know. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, we have a nice interview with Mr. Matthew Jordan Smith, who is uh, one of my huge idols in the photography world. And uh, that's it. So lots of stuff to pack into this show. Before we get started, guys, let's do a quick roundtable and catch up with what you guys have been up to. Ron, I know you're, you've are you been on like every episode for the last, what, 20 no, shows? Lost, no, no, I just lost <laughs> a couple in a row, so not much has changed since then. I know. Last time I asked you that, you are like, uh, since last week, not much. Yeah, but, well, since last week, not much. Sarah, what's been up with you? What's going on in the world of France? Uh, well, we're still in wedding season, although we're getting a little bit closer to the end. I finally um, wrapped up just shooting double weddings on weekends and stuff. So I get a couple weeks off and I actually have Labor Day weekend off. I'm so excited. How'd you manage so, that? What? Yeah. 
That's yeah. really awesome. So it's been it's been really good. We've just been um, doing some reworking stuff in the studio, and I feel like I've been in processes for like the last week, just trying to make sure all of our processes are set up right and work on some rebranding stuff. So we've just been really busy, you know. Now, Sarah, I do want to remind you that you you are in San Diego, and there's a beach over there, so you you might want to unplug for a minute and maybe go soak up some rays. You know, hang out. That's all I have on my schedule this weekend. I think I blocked off Friday to Monday, and it says beach. I think that's pretty much all it says. So With an exclamation I'm, point. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So Very cool. Well, good. And also, coming from the Windy City, probably not as warm as San Diego or as... Uh, I don't as, know. It's pretty warm. It's pretty warm, it's just, but, but it's a different kind of warm, right? It's a, it's a humid warm in, in uh, Chicago. Not this summer. Just, just hot. Just, hot just, just plain hot? Oh, cool. So what's, what's going on in the world of Abilene? Oh, just uh, the usual stuff, doing uh, some 3D animations. I uh, was teaching some Photoshop in D.C. last week for a company and um, just doing uh, a lot of high school seniors, which is great. You're photographing, photographing them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that kind of show. I just want to be sure. No, that's the other show. Yeah, no, that's... photographing a lot of high school seniors. Very cool. How's that, is that business picking up? Or, I mean, it's a, has it ever taken a dip? Because it seems like the high school seniors might be one of those recession-proof or at least resistant areas of photography. I think, you know, last year we were pretty slow. Our first two years we were, we were doing fine, doing great, actually. And uh, this year's picking up. The thing is, you know, babies and high school seniors, it's a one-time deal. You can get remarried. You can <laughs> you can celebrate new children and new family members all the time. But high school graduation and babies are a one-time thing, and it's, um, it's a big business. And we do a lot more seniors than we do babies, which is fine with me because they need a lot less Photoshop, and they're easier to work with, and yeah. uh, we enjoy doing them. So. Now, do you – like having a, the physical sort of storefront business when they come in to get their senior shots or even going back further you know if they come in to get shots before then do you try to like tag them as a customer for life so you're like okay i'm going to shoot you know i'm shooting your you know these first shots and then later we're going to shoot your senior shots and then later after that we're going to shoot your engagement photos and then we're going to do your wedding and then your divorce photos and <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's always nice. I mean, we don't really try to do that. And, you know, since we don't do weddings, we, you know, we wait until they have kids. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely want, want them to come back, but we, we don't try and push hard and sell. They actually come to us a lot and complain about other photographers, which I shouldn't say, but, um, who are those photographers they're complaining about, Dan? We have a name, name names. What's that? <laughs> name names. I want to hear their names. No, I'm just no, kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Yeah, we you're in a... Chicago. That could lead to bad places. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny. In in a lot of small towns, a high school senior photography is a big deal. Um, out here, however, it's kind of like, oh, I can go somewhere else because usually the school sends you for your headshots for the yearbook. And um, beyond that, they don't think about too often going somewhere to get you know albums and nice prints made and medals and all the stuff we do. So. Uh, it's kind of untapped. Wow, very cool. All right, moving on and deeper into the show, just a quick yes. nod out to our friends over at Creative Live. So as I've mentioned before on the show, Creative Live is uh, working with us to help bring more photographers into our the TWIP universe, and which is kind of a win-win because you know it's a win for the listeners. You guys get broader access to a bunch of talent. We get access to that talent as well, and Creative Live gets more exposure for their workshops, which are really cool because I like them because they're free. Because you can, for example, right now there's a Sue Bryce workshop going on. Um, actually, it ended for today. I think they wrap it up around 
five or six five o'clock i think three somewhere in there but it starts at nine it goes all day long and if you have the time you can sit in front of your computer and watch it and absorb all that stuff live ask questions in their chat room all that stuff without dropping a dime and then later if you decide you know what i kind of like that workshop and i missed a couple things you can pay the fee i think it's like for the sue bryce thing it's five days long you could pay a hundred bucks or whatever they set the price at somewhere in the hundred dollar range and get online access to all those videos or download them and put them wherever you want so it's really cool that like i was saying before the the workshop that's going on right now i think it kicked off day before yesterday is a five-day special event with sue bryce on beauty photography of women it kicked off with one of sue's makeup artists just going through start to finish how she does the makeup for one of the for one of sue bryce's shoots and then progressing through what what are the next steps what are the next steps you know how do you shoot them how do you pose them how do you post process them how do you sell them all that stuff from start to finish so and that is in progress right now. And then yeah. uh, the next one coming up is from Roberto Valenzuela. Valenzuela. It's on location, posing, and execution. And then today's interview is with the one that is with Matthew Jordan Smith, and that's the one that's uh, coming up in a couple of weeks as well. And his is all about working with models. And in the interview that you'll listen to, he said that he. If you know his name, you've probably seen him on America's Next Top Model as one of the photographers slash judges on there. But he's bringing one of the models from America's Next Top Model to the workshop so that he can do his workshop with her and poser and shooter and lighter and all that stuff. So it's really cool. Have you guys have you guys played with Creative Live at all? Yeah. Been watching, yeah. Watching uh, Sue Bryce this week. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that they, I think they're playing a replay tonight. Like they actually mm -hmm. replay some of the good stuff, but I caught a little bit of it today. She was doing a hundred poses in an hour. Yeah, I was in there too. I was watching the same one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm was like, crazy. go, girl. Sue Bryce has that talent. I think you know her accent just kills me because she oh. could she can say anything and it just sounds cool. She's like, stick stick your booty out, and it sounds cool when Sue Bryce says it with her New Zealand accent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't totally. know. Whereas if I, I say it. it, it would sound wrong. <laughs> so, True. I, don't know. I don't know. It's not fair. I need an accent <laughs> like that. All right. Well, anyway, you can check out all of those workshops, um, either the ones that have happened already, and you can you know watch them on demand, or watch the ones that are coming up live as they're happening at creativelive.com on their website. So definitely check those guys out. Okay, for the first news item that we're going to talk about, of course, is the big story, um, Apple and Samsung, or Apple versus Samsung. So Apple beat them. Basically, they said Samsung infringed on a number of their patents, including double-tapped zoom and scroll, and, you know, it, it just blatantly, Apple said they just blatantly copied the, their stuff, right? And the, the judge agreed with them, judge slash jury agreed with them, and awarded them $1 billion, awarded Apple $1 billion in settlement. Apple went back and said, no, actually, we wanted $3 billion, <laughs> please. So Apple said, you know, they went back and said they wanted $3 billion. We don't know where that is right now, but that's the, uh, that's the counter that they're going to do. So on the surface, this was like a big win for Apple. But on below the surface is what I want to talk about with you guys. What does this mean? Like, does this... There's a lot of stuff that Apple patented. And I know back from before I had the first iPhone, Sarah, you and I got the first iPhone at the same time, I remember. Mm -hmm. But before yeah. we had that, I had a Blackjack. You know, the, uh, Motorola, I think it was Motorola made that, or Samsung or somebody. Anyway, it was a Blackjack. It had the physical keyboard on there. And, you know, I thought that was the phone of phones. And then I got the iPhone. I was like, okay, I get it now. 
But then soon thereafter, it was a bunch of Me Too's that came out with the touchscreen display and the same similar feel and all that. And now we're just seeing the first huge win from the Apple camp in terms of their IP. So, Sarah, let's throw it to you first. So you and I were kindred spirits with our first iPhones. What is what does this mean? I mean, should Apple be pushing in this direction to to clamp down on all this stuff that seems, in retrospect obvious you know but you know maybe it's not so obvious what do you think well i think that's a really good point is that you know it's easy for us to say well yeah like of course what what are they going to do because this is the only way to do it whereas we never thought to do it like that before Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um i think that it's an amazing win for apple and i think it's going to push innovation in a way that um is really exciting like the fact that that this is kind of locked down as Apple's patent is um, it's understandable. I mean, it's understandable that they they went through the work and they did it, and they don't want somebody to just take their look and feel and do the exact same thing. And those phones even look like iPhones. So, mm-hmm. I I think that um, it's it's a great win. But I also think underneath what it's really going to do is push companies to really innovate and be different and come up with new ways or different ways. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like um, the only drawback is those things start to feel um, like, yeah, like yeah. second nature to us. And then all of a sudden, if you can only do that on an Apple device, either everything else feels foreign or, you know, it just might make the user have a little bit of difficulty if you're not using one brand. It might make some more brand um, loyalty maybe if if you are just used to it. Same as going from a PC to a Mac. Mm-hmm. They've made that a little bit easier trying to make some of the shortcut keys the same and things like that. But if I go to a PC and start working, I'm just like, Mm-hmm. I hate this thing. And it's not even that I that it doesn't have all the shortcut keys. It's just that I'm so intuitively used to something yeah. different. Yeah. It's just different. So Ron, what what about you? Like taking the slightly different tack on this, you know, looking at this stuff from the standpoint of like Sarah was saying, we get used to this the UI, but on Apple side, this UI was not around until they decided to yeah, it may have been obvious, but they productized the obviousness and sold it and patented it so because it feels obvious does it does that mean they're wrong for suing other people for using the obvious way you should be using a a device like this yeah it's so hard to be objective about the way some of these things work because as soon as somebody like apple puts a stake in the ground of you know here's the way we did it it seems obvious right yeah but until they did it it didn't seem at all obvious um you know i mean first of all fair disclosure i'm a I have some Apple stock. I have some Google stock. Uh, part of me questions why Google wasn't sued more so than Samsung, since it's really the Android look and feel in in large part of uh, what's going on here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, to kind of bring it around to photography stuff, I think we're kind of lucky that this hasn't impacted the advancing, or maybe it has, but in general, I think, you know, most modern cameras haven't been impacted that much by the patent wars just because they are, for the most part, using very similar paradigms and technologies to stuff that's been around for such a long time 
that there, there isn't that much innovation in there, but there's so much technology that's going to be coming in terms of the way, you know, computational photography and lens designs that are just radically different from what we have now and using multiple cameras to derive 3D data and, you know, the, the stuff you're seeing on the Kinect is only just a start. Yeah. And it would really suck if some big companies were able to lock out bits and pieces of this uh, to the exclusion of people that are smaller and nimbler that would be doing really new cutting-edge stuff. I mean, I have certainly thought about several things that are in the photography space that I just feel like it's not even worth trying to start a company to do that because there are so many big patents that yeah. would The patent jungle it. gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And yeah, unless you have exactly. a really big machete, you're not going yep. anywhere, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, it's almost a cliche to say that the patent system is broken, but it, it really is to the point where I think it's, it is decreasing the, uh, the innovation level at some point. And I think that's really a shame. I don't know what the answer to that's going to be because it's such a, a hard thing to change legislation like that. But I'm hoping that something comes about that kind of changes it around a little bit. And I don't think this decision is going to help make that happen. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe enough people will look at this and say, I guess the problem is, in a lot of ways, I agree with the verdict that, you know, these Samsung phones did copy off of what Apple had done. But, you know, I think the bigger picture is, is still a bigger concern. Yeah. Now, Dan, what about you? So, do swinging this back around to photography, or mm-hmm. turning our lens to photography, um, what it, does it, are there any possible impacts to the to the photography world on this? Like, even even you know, we see the the upswing in um, iPhone photography or so called iPhoneography, right? We seen we're seeing a lot of that. Does this verdict af- affect any of those moves? Um, I think it will. I, I agree with. Um Sarah and Ron, that you know, th- this might give people a little wake up call, like, well, but we better come up with something. I think mm-hmm. it's going to push some innovation. You know, what I mean, what people forget is that the cell phone industry, and I, I you know, I've always kept up with stuff. I had a Razor when it first came out, I had an Apple Newton all those years ago. I know, I had one too. Um, but the cell phone industry was all about the service and the contracts, it never was about the hardware. And when Apple came around, they changed everything for everybody. Um, you know, and with these patents, you know, now protecting them because I think they they everybody was copying them and that was kind of the norm. And I think it sounds kind of like they just got fed up and said, all right, you know what? Enough of this. And, you know, protected their patents. So for photography, I don't necessarily see a relation right now, but it could send a good message to anybody that wants to copy menus and copy uh swipes and finger touches and things like that as those become more prevalent on, on digital cameras. So yeah, we'll have I to mean, wait. It, just, it just seems like, you know, yes, the, the iPhone is great. I have one. And Ron, you know, like you, I do own stock in Apple and Google and Microsoft and Adobe. Um, but it just seems like like there's... There's a million ways, as my dad would say, there's a million ways to skin a cat, right? So, you know, which is my cat's sick, so I don't really want to say that. Anyway, so there's a a million ways to skin a cat, and doing the UI the way that Apple did it is only one way to do it. Yeah, it's a great way to do it, but I'm sure there's a lot of cool ways to build a killer smartphone that doesn't borrow from what apple did so i think you know from my standpoint it's okay yeah this is a you know samsung has really really deep pockets maybe this is this is the 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 match under their butt to say okay now we're going to out apple apple you know and do something really insanely cool to make the iphone look like flintstones then everybody wins right so i don't know 
That's what I'd like to see. I mean, because you remember when, when, when Steve announced the iPhone, they were talking about, you know, they were doing the comparison with the older phones, um, and they were talking about the stylus. The and stylus. and were, remember that one slide where he had the stylus on there, and then he said, we're replacing the stylus with something else that you always have with you, and it's your finger. And he put the finger on the, on the screen. So, you know, it's, that's... That's innovation, right? And it seems obvious. Just like the wheel, I'm sure, seemed obvious to the guy that made that. But, you know, it's... But, you know, people have to come up with something new. You know, when... I think it... No, it was HP. And they they released a tablet. And they were going right after Apple. And, and it was the same price. It looked the same. It worked the same. Mm-hmm. Well, why would people buy that? They would... Might as well just get the Apple. If they, you know, Amazon did it right with a Kindle. It's smaller half the price works differently okay it's a different product yeah. and um but that's a good point though i mean yeah the with the kindle is a slightly a slight tangent i was thinking about this today actually because i bought a kindle fire and i kept it for two days and then i'm like <laughs> I, I sent it back because i'm you like me five days for mine i sent it back you sent it back too <laughs> yeah because i because i have the iphone or the ipad and the iphone which have the kindle app on them and i was like why do you know why do I need another device to carry around when I can? Well, just... then I went. I went to a nook after the Kindle. Oh, do you Better like frying factor. pan into the fire? <laughs> yeah, I, I got rid of the fire. I went with the Kindle or uh, the nook. Um, but then it was just you had to hack this and root that and do this to get to that, and, and the email crashed. I'm like, oh my god, I'm I'm mm-hmm. back on Windows 95. So yeah. I finally sold that and got an iPad. I gave in. <laughs> you <gave> in. <laughs> Resistance yeah, I mean, I tried. is futile. <laughs> So that's crazy. I don't know. This is cool stuff. We'll we'll definitely keep an eye on this because you know, in a lot of ways this is not directly related to photography, of course, but in a lot of ways it is because of, you know, what these companies represent and the merging, like one of the stories we're going to talk about is yeah. the operating systems on on point and shoots um becoming more operating systemized, right? And Presumably, we'll see that moving into DSLRs in the near future. So it's all fun. This is fun, fun, fun stuff. It's exciting. It's almost like going from JPEG to RAW. No, maybe not that fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. uh, Let's move on. This is a really, speaking of fun, this is a fun story. So IKEA, you know, the place where Ron Brinkman buys buys all of his furniture, has decided, (laughs) because I've seen video of you, They've decided to, and I don't know if this is across the board, but at least in some of their catalogs, they've decided to make the images for their catalogs using 3D renderings instead of photography. So, which is a little scary for a lot of people. So, on the one hand, I look at this from from two with with looking at from both sides. On the one hand, on on IKEA side, of course, I'm gonna if technology has come to the level where. I can make images and move things around and have a bank of widgets I can just drag and drop into a scene and render it and send it off to the printer really, really cheaply. Of course I'm going to do that because it's it's less money. But on the other side, you know, putting on my photographer hat is, you know, you're losing all the aesthetics and the, you know, the 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 warmth that comes from a, a, photograph, a photograph that was captured by a real human, the depth of field and all that stuff and... I don't know. Sarah, I disagree. Go ahead, Ron. You take it first. (laughs) Well, coming from the world of doing visual effects where Mm -hmm. all I did for many years was create realistic environments, you know, you still have a human doing this. There is no, you know, there's still an art director. There's somebody that's making decisions about where you're placing lights. You know, there's still decisions about what kind of... But he's not a photographer though, right? It's the same. It's the exact same skill set. It is, you know, and, and very often... 
these people are, you know, there's actually, especially on, on CG movies, the person's referred to as the director of photography. It is a almost a one-to-one mapping of the skill set in a lot of areas. And it's exactly the same decisions. You know, where would I put a light to get an interesting kick off of this? I mean, it used to be that this CG stuff was extraordinarily technical and you had to sit down and write, you know, practically write code to get this look out of the stuff. But these days, it's a 3D environment that you go in and you choose where you put your cameras and you literally choose, you know, I'm going to put a 50 millimeter 1.4 lens on the camera. You know, you choose from a pull down list and you do that on your virtual so, camera, right? Yep, exactly. So yeah. I don't, you know, it's it, the nice thing is if you've got a, a grounding in photography, you can go in and, and do this kind of stuff. Now, obviously there's a lot more to it than that. And there's a different skill set in, in many areas, but I just disagree with that sense that there's, not a human behind it because it's very but, much yeah, exactly okay so the same yeah there is there's a human behind it but there's it's a different human right so it's not if there was a guy that's been shooting every ikea catalog you know for the last 20 years and then yeah. suddenly they say hey bob um come over here we got to talk to you <laughs> but you know the art director that's choosing where to put the plants and how the things are going to be laid out is still probably doing exactly the same thing only it's easier now and they can just interact with a digital artist mm-hmm. you know I, I, the other thing is this is this is happening constantly and all over the place. I mean, this is maybe because IKEA is such a recognizable brand name. This made news, but I would say I don't have numbers in front of me, but I'd be willing to bet that probably more than half of the car commercials you see on TV are CG cars these days. Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 all it's all you know 3D rendering. It's all it's all animation instead of instead of live stuff for any number of reasons. Obviously, for making it a more cost-effective thing and for doing effects that you couldn't otherwise do so it's you know there's going to be a place for real photography but i think that line continues to blur there as well if you you know the car commercial is probably somebody went out and shot the location with a real camera you know a a live real world camera on a helicopter or whatever and then the car is added in later but there's still that mix of what's the what's the set that you're capturing you know photography on and what's the cg that you're putting into it yeah I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe it's an, uh, yet another skill set. Dan, is this another skill set that photographers need to learn? Like, you know, video, audio, the whole multimediographer thing. Now they have to add 3D to it. It's funny that this is a topic because this is exactly what I do. I know it uh, is. <laughs> I know. You you wrote the lynda.com tutorial on this, right? Uh, there's a couple, yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, I've been shooting since I was 13. Went to school for photojournalism and broadcast journalism and then got into 3D in about 88, 89, and still have been doing it. You know, I was doing animated saliva and teeth today for uh, for Wrigley. And then we were doing <laughs> a high school senior shoot. So I'm doing exactly both. And I absolutely agree with Ron. It's it's. I've worked in it for 20 years. And from a photography standpoint, this is interesting too because my photography background helped me in 3D immensely. And yes. I would go talk to people and they would see me get into the layout portion of things and they'd, I'd set up lights and cameras and I'm like, how did you do that? But I didn't come from the engineering background, so I'd see them get into the modeling section. And I'm like, how do you do that so fast? So there's that two schools of thought when you come to 3D. And one is the more artistic side, one is the more analytical and engineering side. And I was obviously, you know, the more artistic side. But in 3D, I can experiment with colored lights and I don't have to worry about wires and you know, sets and things like that. And then I bring that actually into my studio in real life, knowing that I had set something up like that for a 3D product. Hmm. Um, in fact, I'm working on a 3D 
product shot video right now that's hopefully going to go out the door tomorrow uh, for lynda.com. And it is all about 3D product shots. And the whole concept is coming from photography. We're lighting it like real-world photography using big soft boxes, using depth of field, um, shadows, all the other aspects of it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's as far as Ikea going that way, um, it's not necessarily cheaper. In fact, it might even be more expensive. But what it gives them is more control. Because, for instance, years ago, there was a, a guy we worked with. He would do um, those ads you see for music uh, before digital. So he'd, he'd build the CD-ROMs, you know, like Sounds of the 70s, and they'd show all of that. Well, with each release, he had two CDs and two cassettes, and he was spending 5000 a day shooting practically these CD-ROM cases. And so we went to them and said, look, we can do this for half the money. You have complete control, and there's consistency. He wanted exactly a long shot, a pull shot, and a sweeping shot of these products. And on top of that, we were able to add, let's say it was the 70s, we had a, a 3D gobo on a light shooting on the background, you know, with like a peace sign. Um, and so we had complete control, and it was less money. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I've also trained people directly from Detroit who were photographers, are photographers, who need to get into 3D to learn how to light their cars. Like Ron was saying, all those ads, they're all, they're all animated now. And you're not going to know which, I mean, some, of course, you know when they're blowing apart in a thousand pieces, but right, right. others, you, you wouldn't even know. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, so. that's crazy. I don't know. This, this stuff is coming a long way. I mean, I was looking, Alex Lindsay was telling me about this application called 123D Catch. Have you guys heard mm-hmm. of that? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, for those who haven't heard of it, it's an application that's on the computer, Windows, Mac, on your iPad, iPhone, Android. I think it's on Android as well. That you can aim, you, you run the app, and then you aim your camera at a physical object. Say it's a glass or statue or something in the, in the real world. Take the picture, and the software makes a 3D object out of it, just like that. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it seems to work okay, but I'm sure it's not like the detailed renderings that, that you would make, Dan, you know? So, but well, it's, it's, it's an it's, interesting step into the 3D world. It's more scanning, too. You know, um, I, I go down to Hallmark Cards quite a bit and help them out with 3D, and they have 3D printers, a lot of 3D printers on there. So somebody will practically take clay, they'll photograph it, and they'll model it into one of their figurines that they'd sell for like Disney or whoever they're licensing, Wizard of Oz. And um, then they'll build it in the computer, and I'll help them texture it and light it. But they'll actually send it over to the 3D printer so they actually have a real model of it. Wow. Um, and it goes full circle. And those 3D printers, on side note, are just amazing. I mean, they, they you can call up let's say a pair of scissors, it will actually build it and they'll work. Not, they won't be sharp, but... <laughs> it's like a replicator I mean, from Star Trek, right? It's, yeah. it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's crazy. That's crazy. Products yeah. come out of a machine like that. It's just it's amazing. But. Yeah. Bring, anyway. bring the 3D world into the real world. Sarah, this has... Uh, I'm thinking, I was like, are there any applications of 3D in the world of wedding photography? I don't know. It, what do you think? Mm. You're like, mm, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, we could build a model of the bride, but that might be a little strange. Make her even skinnier than usual and look good from every angle. I mean, well, that at least would make you could, you know, what? Whole it would world be, a lot easier. It would be cool if you could do that because you remember there was a story that came out. I think it was this week or last week about um, a bride actually drowning during a trash the dress session, oh. right? And no. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll send you the link to it. Yeah, it was up in Canada. There was a photographer doing a trash dress session um, close to some really strong tides, and the wedding dress got heavy and pulled her under. So, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah! It was horrible, <laughs> horrible. The photographer, but, the news clip on YouTube, the photographer was just in tears and just oh, visibly yeah. just destroyed because of this. You know? Oh, she'll never go near water again. I can't no. even imagine. No. Um, but on the IKEA story, like the thing that actually hit me about the whole thing was, I find it, I find it fascinating the different ways that we're using our knowledge these days. Like, I feel like. The person that's doing all of this for IKEA is probably the same group of people. They're just using a different tool set, mm-hmm. you know. And yep. and I I I actually went on the article and saw the the images and tried to figure out which ones were three D renderings and which ones were photographs. And I was totally wrong. Right. Like <laughs> it was impossible to tell. I I really couldn't tell the difference. And that was just fascinating to me that they could. That they could do that. I mean, one had like shadows cast across from the sun. And it, it really what hit me the most on the detail of what they're able to do is is the lighting and the reflections. Like it is all about reflections when it comes to the realistic look of it and where the light's coming from and how it's hitting every single thing in that room. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by how detailed that was. Uh, and how amazing it was. And it made me want to go and like be a director for, for something like this, like a director of photography or something that could, that you could take your knowledge and actually set something up and see it. Like I'd love to play with that program that let me like design a room and put light in it and mm-hmm. come on just over. even to come up with concept <laughs> ideas. Like how cool is that to see what it would be like before even shooting it? So say even like, even if you were gonna shoot something, to be able to concept it out like that is just. Well, crazy. Sarah, you know Ron Brinkman, one of the masters in that stuff, uh, lives about an hour away from you, <laughs> so you, <laughs> you could probably buy him a cup of coffee and sit down with a laptop in Starbucks. And he'll show you, you know, it's the, the software for doing that is you know so available now. Some of it's free. I mean, you know, even Google SketchUp has some pretty nice rendering capabilities as part of it. Um, I guess it's not Google SketchUp anymore. They sold it to somebody else. But you know the the idea of of, of uh, using this for a previs is is pretty much a hundred percent of the time done mm-hmm. in the film industry. You know this idea that we're going to figure out where we're going to put all of, all of our lights and, and what kind of lighting package we need and all that kind of stuff. Uh, tremendous time saver, right? You mock up what the room is, is or the location is looking like, and then you understand. All right. There's no way we're going to be able to fit a crane in here to do the shot we want. So we got to rethink what we're doing. And I really think photographers can absolutely take advantage of that same kind of thing for studio shoots and the more involved kind of product shoots. Certainly, again, car commercials, you know, even those kind of things where the camera flies in and through the car, if those are, are done live as opposed to fully CG, I guarantee you it's been sort of pre-visualized first in CG. Do you, do you guys see this as more I think about it? Because I, I played around with... 3D a little bit and then got frustrated <laughs> with it when I figured out, you know, I really don't want to be doing this because it's, it's meticulous and it, it's time it consuming. So like, do you, do you see this, you know, both, both you guys, you know, Dan and Ron, do you see this as like, you know, at first there was photography, right? And then 
we started doing cool things with photography and now there was the wave of video and incorporating video into the different packages that you ordered you offered to brides and different clients and you know you go on assignment you're expected to capture multimedia and audio and all this stuff um is the next level after video that photographers should start trying to be educated about 3d yeah just yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. One word. That's it. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's like asking, it's like the video question, like you said, you know, there are plenty of photographers that can get away with not knowing video if you are so focused and, and, and good at just doing stills. But for your average you know, photographer on the street that's just coming up, having a broader knowledge base is always going to be better. And I think, you know, and, and there's tons of stuff. I mean, Photoshop is such a 3D hybrid tool now where you mm-hmm. may shoot a, a location and then drop a 3D product into it. You know, we want to put a Coke can into this ad uh, for the Coke commercial, but we want to put, you know, a Pepsi can into it or some regional brand into it when it runs in a different location. You know, there's yeah. companies, again, I, when I was in London last, I visited this company that's going back through old episodes of Friends and replacing products in the TV shows. Get out of here, really? Oh, depending, on, depending on where it's going to air. You know, If it's going to air in South Korea, then they have a different brand that's going to be sitting on the table than if it's going to air in Malaysia. Wow. Wow, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. That's no, and cool. that's, part, that's part of the reselling of these products, you know, reselling of the, the TV show or the movie in a different location as they can and further. For, and for that. product placement, too. I can see yeah. huge applications for that. You know? No, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's, you, uh, you know I mean... I think it's probably already happening where you know, you don't put a can of Coke on the table. You put a a can that's wrapped in a green screen material on the table. And then you just you know have ultimate quick flexibility for changing it to whatever you want to. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, because perhaps you have to shoot something you know long before the product's finalized, but you have a general idea or the logo. Yep. Um, the label has to change, things like that. You know, I, I taught um, some 3D to a company in Cleveland years ago. And, you know... I don't think we could look at things as just photography or just 3D because this company did both. So what they did in their studio with a beautiful 40 megapixel Hasselblad was shoot um, a practical scene. So in this case, they had wood and sawdust and nails. It was just warm, beautiful lit. And then in there, they were animating or rendering a drill that hadn't yet come to market. So they had all this time to work on this because they had the CAD file, but the drill's not manufactured yet. And then they incorporate that into that shot. So when you see that brochure, it's both. It's a 3D drill, but it's also real wood and real nails and everything else. A nice blend. And they were photographers and 3D artists working together. Wow. Crazy stuff. I love that. Yeah, you're right. It's scary. You know, as soon as you start getting your brain around video and all the stuff that needs to happen there, it's 3D. And just, you know, just to close on this point, like I was, I sort of alluded to earlier, 3D is meticulous, and it's not like like people that are used to taking a photo at a 60th of a second and doing maybe 10 or 15 minutes of processing of that photo and it's done. That's not what happens in the world of 3D, right? Because when you put it together, after you build all the models, you assemble them in there, then you render the thing, right? Like from start to finish, Dan, although it is, mm-hmm. since you, you know yeah. this stuff inside and out. So from start to finish, from creating a say it's a living room scene with a couch you know a love seat a chair a rug mm-hmm. you know a, tel- a flat screen on the wall you know the regular living living room scene from start to finish how long would it take you to create that scene and render out a final document or image that you're ready to send to the client if it was absolutely immediate at yep. least a week 
Wow. Um, you know, and the dead giveaway with 3D is furniture. And if you look at that IKEA link, the furniture shots on the living room, that's a real photo. But the, the kitchen, uh, you know, that's yeah, those those are three D, but yeah, the hard um, hard surfaces. I mean, solid surfaces are easier than fuzzy you know, cloth surfaces. But you know, it's getting better. I mean, I think part of it though is it's not going to be most of the time. It's not going to be one person that is the do everything kind of guy on this because that's asking a lot, and there's a lot of work going into it. And, that one's you know, a catalog like that, yeah. Yeah, you know what it's going to be, and even if you're talking about an individual photographer that wants to do some sort of hybrid of two D and three D or photo and 3d you know they'll go online and, and buy a model of a couch it's already pre-made and pre-textured right. and, and it looks extremely realistic in fact they'll probably be able to say i want this particular ikea model and i'd be, I'd be willing to bet right now if you go online and you type in a particular ikea model an ikea couch and and append the word 3d model to the google search You'll find that object. Somebody's already modeled it and put That's it out crazy. there. That's crazy. So, cool. you know, a lot and of the stuff will be pre done. Uh, you'll be able to drop it into an environment. It's not too hard to mock up the shape of a room. You know, so probably getting CAD files from the manufacturers for different yeah. products as well. Yeah. All right. Well, here, here's a loaded question. I know I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a match into a powder cake with this question, um, especially with you guys on here. So, Say Sarah decides, you know, there's 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 something to this. I'm going to listen to these guys and start getting educated on 3D. Where should she start? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said it's loaded. Dan's like, Linda.com, my tutorials. Well, <laughs> go, go to Linda.com. No, I, I would say it depends on what type of 3D. Um, you know, I get questions all the time because I use about three different packages. And... You know, from my type of work, it's not as much like like Ron was doing more. I think Ron, you're doing more visual effects type stuff, and I'm doing a little more product shots and kind of right. you know medical and stuff like that. Um, if you're getting into serious modeling and you want some beautiful realistic renders, I mean, they can all render. I don't, you know, I can't bash any of them, but some are stronger in modeling, some are stronger in animating, some are stronger in lighting and rendering. But most of the packages today are really uh, self-contained and really affordable. Um, so my primary is Modo, M-O-D-O, from Luxology. Um, you can check that out, Luxology.com. And I think they all have demos. And, of course, Lightwave, which has been around forever, that I've been using since version 1. And I think I got eight hmm. books on it, eight books maybe. Yeah. Um, so Lightwave, it's been around since 88, 89. Um, well, I know and, one, of, one of our listeners so, is the guy behind 3D Studio Max. Is that, is that still around? Yeah, and it's heavy in gaming. You okay. know, not, not yeah. that it's only for that, but it's heavy in the gaming industry okay. as well as Maya. And but Maya's like driving a Ferrari to the grocery store. I was going to say, me. I think that Maya turned me off to 3D because I took a class in San, San Francisco. It was a three-day class on Maya, and yeah. I left the what the one thing I learned from that class was I don't want to be doing 3D. <laughs> so and then yeah, course, Maya, Maya's heavy, and Maya's got ten years of complexity behind it or more. Yeah. yeah, you create and, uh, entire worlds, and they're complete with physics and gravity and wind and surface tension and water and all that stuff in there before you even start making anything you know remotely like the Hobbit. So yeah, I mean, I you know I'd look at something lightweight to start off. You know, there, there's a if you want to go totally free, um, there's a package called Blender that has all kinds of capabilities. You know, the user interface is a little bit clunky at times, but you know it's completely free and it's really very functional. Like I said, Google SketchUp will get your head around the idea of creating 3D stuff and or Photoshop as well, right? If you have Photoshop I mean, extended, yeah, Photoshop. Right? Has, if you get the full Photoshop package, it has a lot of 
creation of 3D stuff in there, and also After Effects, uh, which is primarily a compositing yeah. software, but it has a ton of 3D capabilities as well. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff you can just kind of get started on it, and then as you do that, you'll you'll probably find that I really don't like making models. I much prefer doing lighting, or yeah, I, you know, I I much prefer doing you know painting textures for surfaces or whatever. You know, there's different things that you may find you enjoy doing more than others. Yeah, people may find a find a new job in Second Life or something. Right. That's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. I you know real quick. Just yeah. it was teaching Photoshop last week and to 15 people and. Compared to teaching 3D, it was so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice. Because <laughs> it's a flat service, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Wow. All right, guys. So moving on real quick. The last story that I want to talk about, um, actually, there's, there's two. Um, the first one is Sony and Samsung and what we alluded to at the beginning, jumping into the these cameras that have downloadable apps and operating systems on them. So in the case of Sony, um, the NEX 5R will be the first interchangeable lens camera with an interchangeable lens with mirrorless or interchangeable lens, mirrorless Wi-Fi camera. I'm reading from our, our sort of scrambled show notes here. The Wi-Fi camera with downloadable apps on it. So the gist of this is it's a camera that does all this cool stuff, 1080, you know, 60p HD recording. It's got a flip out tilting LCD screen and you can put applications on it to do all this other kind of cool stuff. And then on the Samsung Galaxy side, so they're coming out with a Wi-Fi enabled point and shoot powered by Android with a bunch of apps that will be available through the Google Play marketplace. So, so you'll have games, internet games, mail, all that stuff on your phone. So is this... Is this what you were thinking of, Ron, when you talked about this a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's clearly everybody's starting to to fall on board with with doing this kind of thing. Um, the Samsung Galaxy, you know, the problem is it is a point and shoot, so it's not a super super great camera, but it's Android, so it's very going to be very open and flexible. Like we talked about last week, I don't know. You know, it's kind of up to the operating system to determine how much uh, how deep you can get into the guts of the camera control itself. The Sony is their next-generation NEX camera, which is a really nice platform that, unfortunately, you can only get Sony lenses for at this point. Um, that's not entirely true. You can get third-party lenses, but they won't focus on various other things. Yeah. Um, but in typical Sony fashion, this, this new app world that they are offering on this are only going to be Sony apps. And right now, they're not... If you read the announcement, I could find no mention of third parties being able to create apps you know all they're saying is we're going to have apps you can put on it but right now they're kind of talking like it's just going to be the apps that they release yeah so which is you know it's such it's a almost there thing. i mean that's how that's how it was with the iphone when it launched right it was it yeah. was closed it, yeah but it did launch with the sense of you know we're going to have an open sdk whereas this is so sony and you know memory stick kind of world where right <laughs> well sony right they're notorious uh, for they're experts at shooting themselves in the foot so yep yeah. So, uh, but, I, yeah, I would, it'll, if, it'll in this race, I would place bets on Samsung with the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and it, so I'm, I'm still looking for when's the, you know, when's the, somebody going to come out with the, the Micro Four Thirds or something like that that runs standard, uh, standard Android operating system. Yeah. yeah so Sarah, if this, if this made it into like a DSLR, this kind of technology, what kind of apps would you need in order to make your life easier? Well, uh, first of all, I think. 
I'm just waiting for Apple to actually release one. I think then all of my apps can just transfer over. Well, that would be cool. Yeah, that would Instagram, be cool. Instagram, yeah. you know, like yeah, um, yeah. all the things that you wish you had a decent camera for. Uh, you just want and, iOS everywhere. You want it in your car. I you want do, it on your refrigerator, your TV, everywhere, right? It, you know, if if Sony and Apple would just team up, we could have it like right now almost, you know, this device <laughs> that they're showing, I mean, is so sweet. It's really like looks like such a great camera and um, just a great device. It's small. It, it almost, you know, it pretty much is a size that you can fit in your purse if you're a girl. Um, and I love that it has interchangeable lens lenses. I think... When I looked at this, there was like a 24 fixed lens, which is, you know, one of the ones I love to carry around. So it's a, it's a great, um, purchase for $750, I think they said yeah, it was. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a really great step in the right direction for sure. And I think the just features of Wi-Fi is just when you start thinking about it, I mean, obviously we've been talking about it for years, but the, it's actually getting to the point of, coming true which is with this even being a capability or possibility it's super exciting so i think um even if i think it's great that they're the ones that are coming out with it and being the innovators and um from that i know obviously there's going to be a slew of competition to follow them but i just i love that it's finally starting to happen and i think when it comes to apps and things that you'd want on it, I mean, if you think about the ways that you would mold your iPhone and your professional camera, that's pretty much like what I think of when I think mm-hmm. about what, not only what apps I would use maybe, but the infinite possibilities of what apps could be developed for it mm-hmm. are, are amazing. Yeah. But really, the number one thing that comes to mind for me is like, I can take a picture and like tweet it or like Facebook Connect- it. Like connectivity right, there. right yeah yeah it's just the connection between between your professional camera and the world that is a super exciting yeah. part for me yeah it's like for us i mean for us photographers that's been the one piece that's not connected, right? Because our phones are connected, the tablets are connected, the laptops are, laptops are connected, but we have these supercomputers in our cameras versus, that, that, for some reason, are islands. <laughs> they can't they can't talk to anything, and and the manufacturers are just now thinking about letting us get on and talk to the rest of the world with them. Dan, what would you do with this stuff in your in your day to day business if you had a, a DSLR or even a point and shoot that would allow you to connect up and run apps and all that stuff? You know, it's it is. It's really interesting. I agree. I agree with Sarah that it's it's kind of uh, it's exciting. You know, most people I know they they don't know how to use their camera menus on their point and shoots as it is. But for geeks like us, it's exciting. Yeah. But it's kind of funny how phones are bringing you know this photography and all these apps into it, and now we're looking at the cameras going the other way and bringing like an iPod Touch built into the camera. But I love the idea. The Wi-Fi gets me a little more excited than the applications. Um, but, you know, think of it in a practical sense for news journalists, photojournalists, people out, um, you know, coverage of, of oh, totally. riots and, you yeah. know, yeah. all kinds yeah. of things going. I mean, that stuff can be uploaded instantly. Yeah, you and establish those, a, a secure cloud and all your journalists yeah. are out taking pictures in the cloud and they're just dumping into a folder for the editor. That's insane. Yeah. It, right. And then eventually those apps will come where it's going to plug into a website, um, into the darkroom.com, a great website developer site. 
they've got a new website that builds Instagram right into your website, into your blog. So they have wow. a blog template and it's got an Instagram plugin. So you can pump right into it. So, oh, wow. What, what, um, who is that now? Uh, into the darkroom.com into the darkroom that should be your pick of the week that will that you know what add, <laughs> we'll add that in there yeah they i've i've used their uh their stuff for a long time great great country guys very cool all right guys uh we're running out of time i want to quickly touch on this next story here um and it's a uh, it's about it's a from a ted talk it's called photography at the speed of light one of our listeners bruce tombs sent this over to us and it was it basically it's about the ability for camera to shoot and a kind of a crazy one trillionth with a T of a second. And that's the time it takes light to move a fraction of an inch. And I'm a big sort of light physics astronomy geek. So this I watched this video a couple of times and it's just insane what you could do with this. But my my mind sort of boggles when I think about what it's cool to see that you could do this stuff, but I'm thinking I'm trying to think of what you could use it for in the practical real world. Now have you guys watched this video yet? I saw it a little while back, yeah. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Ron? What, what's a practical use of this? <laughs> Good question. I mean, there's sort of, this is a very sort of physics kind of experiment thing. I don't think it's really one camera. I think it's actually sort of this massive array of special mm-hmm. cameras that mm-hmm. are kind of shooting offset from each other and, and you know, timing-wise. But, you know, any time you're able to slow stuff down to the extent that this is doing it, I think it just gives you an interesting new view on the world, and you know, watching light do what it does here maybe isn't going to be the ultimately application that'll get a whole lot of traction. But you know, anything that happens at these high speeds, you know, you're watching a water balloon pop. I I, I just love looking at it just because it's the kind of thing that your brain is not used to seeing in a day to day environment, and that gives you kind of a, that a different view on the world, which I think is powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. All right. Well, we'll jump past that, and but we'll definitely if you're looking at the blog post while listening to this click through and watch the video on on youtube it's one of those really cool ted talks and it's really well done and really informative and let me can I just make a comment real quick yeah 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 um if anybody watched shark week last week or the week before they were using um one of the new red cameras and i blanked a phantom i think it is and it's a i think it was a million frames a second yeah, I believe it was. Um, That's crazy. Wow. And you got to see the footage of those sharks. It's just it's unbelievable. So this is just taking that further, and I do believe it'll be down to the consumer level eventually. I mean, point and shoot cameras have sixty, ninety, hundred and twenty frames a second for slow motion now. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's lots, lots more tools to experiment with. Is what it kind of boils down. It's to. So fun. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. So I want to give a quick nod. Before we move on to the picks and all that and the questions and stuff, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor. The sponsor for this week's episode is FreshBooks. Now, I've been using FreshBooks since way before they were a sponsor of This Week in Photo. And I do a lot of client work and you know freelance and all that stuff. And as many creatives are, I'm, I can be disorganized at times when it comes to getting paid and emailing people, and especially if they don't pay me on time and I forget and all this stuff. So dumping everything into FreshBooks, it just sort of takes care of everything. I can issue invoices from within the, this cloud-based app, sends them out. They can pay for that invoice online, or they can drop a check in the mail, whatever they want. Um, they can, you know, it's just, it just runs the back end of the business smoothly for this kind of business. And it's, it's really cool. They've been around since 2004 
And their whole mantra is they want to be the online invoicing app that will save you time and get you paid faster. And it's done exactly that for me. So, like I was saying, it allows you to create invoices. You can, you know, create them online and email them directly out to your clients. Boom, right there. And then leave the computer. It takes like two seconds and you've invoiced somebody. And if, you, if you're re-invoicing somebody, it takes even less time because their information is already in there. You can just repopulate it and say, bill again. Um, your clients can pay you right on the spot with a credit card. You can even turn timesheets instantly into invoices. So if you're doing time-based work for a client and keeping track of it, you can you keep track of your time within FreshBooks and then hit a button when you're done and it just converts it all to billable hours and you're out, you're done. So all that follow-up with late payments, you know, even if you want to send physical invoices for a small fee, FreshBooks will print them out with your logo on them with a return envelope and send them out just like that. So it's just like it's like the the easy way or the you know the lazy man's way of doing invoices. So it's perfect for me because I I just have so much other stuff to do. Um, so you can try check them out now. You can sign up and get thirty days of unlimited use. All the features, no limit on clients, staff, everything. The whole shebang. I think before they were limiting it to three three users. Um, for a, you know, for the demo period. Now it's completely unlimited. And all you got to do is sign up at freshbooks.com and be sure to tell them that you heard about it on TWIP when they, when they ask you during sign up so they, they can know that their advertising is working um, through our show. And then um, you sign up right now, you get that 30 days of unlimited, unlimited use. You'll get all the features, everything, and just, you know, kick it off and let us know what you think. It's actually really, really cool. I'm really happy with it. You know, honestly, I use it uh, maybe three or four times a week as I'm, uh, you know, sort of going through my billing processes and the service emails you updates to let you know, you know, what bills have come in, where you're standing for the month. You know, you might say, Hey, you have 10 grand outstanding or five grand, whatever outstanding for this month. So you can kind of have in the back of your mind what you're expecting fund wise to be coming in. So really cool, really cool service. Check them out at freshbooks.com. All right, guys, uh, quickly, we're going to go through this listener Q&A. This is a segment where you guys get to answer questions that have come in from our various online presences. The first one is for is about photography magazine recommendation. We have a listener that asks, he says, uh, which photographic magazines do the members of today's TWIP panel subscribe to and prefer? Is there one publication that they consider the best in all caps? Ron, what do you think? What's your, what's your favorite photo mag? I don't get a single photo mag anymore. Zero get, on the wrong side. <laughs> I get, you know, I, the only the only that would qualify would be uh, National Geographic, which I still get in paper form. But oh, okay, yeah. Other cool. than that, you know, uh, nope. Do you yeah. hang on to your National Geographics? You have like a, a shelf full of like thousands of them. No, I, I occasionally will keep one if there's some place in there. I'm like, man, I want to go visit there, and so I'll toss it on the shelf just in case I ever manage to get there. But other than that, no. Okay, cool. All right, uh, and Sarah France, what's your photo mag? Um, probably the only one I get and um, browse through is Professional Photographer. Mm-hmm. Professional I, Okay. Yeah. Have you seen it? It's <laughs> no, I've never oh, seen that. Of course. Never? Yeah. I've it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good magazine. I mean, I think uh, it depends on what kind of photography that you're into, but um, I seem to really like that one i'm but i'm not a big magazine subscriber either so um i get and browse through that but i i find most of the content and stuff that i'm looking for online so 
Cool. I, but I think a lot of these are starting to come out with publications, like digital versions. So you can subscribe and get a digital version of, of the issue. I think even professional photographer has that option. Nice. And Dan, yeah. Dan, what's okay. your, what's your uh, magazine right. favorite? Um, of course, I get professional photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great one from PPA. Uh, Rangefinder mm-hmm. is also terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I get American F- with that, right? Uh, and after capture, right? And then I get American Photo as well. But others that I uh, might be interested in, uh, depending on the type of work, um, black and white I used to get. Which That's my terrific. favorite, just for the record, black and white. Yeah. Um, PDN is also another good one. And popular photography, which you can pick up, you know, pretty much anywhere. Um, and lens work, a little more artistic side of things. Very cool. All right. All right. Well, thanks for that, guys. Um, before we move on to the pick a week, I'm going to um, insert our interview here. It's the interview I did with Matthew Jordan Smith. Um, amazing guy. You know, I, I'll, I'm going to intro him when we play the intro, of course, or when we play the, the interview. But just a just a quick tease into it. This interview, first of all, he's doing his workshop at Creative Live in a week or a couple weeks from now, depending on when you listen to this. But he is he's a guy, like I was alluding to at the beginning, that... He's a judge on America's Next Top Model. Um, he's one of the photographers on America's Next Top Model from time to time, a good friend of Tyra Banks and a gazillion other celebrities, and he's photographed most of them. Um, and uh, he just sort of lets the guard down and tells us what it's like inside the world of somebody that's doing that kind of work at that level. And it's much different than you would think. you know. I, and I ask him, I call him to task on... You know, just sort of the sort of the mystery around these big celebrity photographers, and you know, they do they act like the, what we think they act like when they're on a set, and also do the how do the celebrities act on the set, and how do you manage a celebrity as a photographer to get the shot? So, give this a listen; it's really interesting. Matthew Jordan Smith has worked with some of the top names in entertainment today, including Halle Berry, Jennifer Connelly, Jamie Foxx, Tay Diggs. And many, many more. He's appeared as a guest photographer and surprise judge on the hit TV show America's Next Top Model many times. And in addition to appearing on that show, he's been the subject of television and magazine interviews, including The View, Good Day New York, and BET. A native of New York City, Matthew has taught at the prestigious School of Visual Arts in Manhattan and at the Santa Fe Workshops. Uh, Santa Fe Photographic Workshops, and he's joining me today to talk about his amazing career, all the stuff that he's done, and hopefully I'm going to be able to pry some tips out of him for doing photography like he's he's been doing it. So, Matthew, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you. It was great being a part, and uh, thank you for asking me to be on the show. No, oh, no, it's my pleasure. We were saying this before before we started recording. I'm a big fan. So <laughs> I was telling you, I was telling you, you know, and I'm not shy to say this, uh, you know, if I could do it, I would be you. So, <laughs> so. No, don't be me. Be better than me. Okay. Be better. Well, I'd settle, I'll settle for, you know, half as good as you, and then I'll work my way up to you, and then we'll go for better, you know, in a couple of decades. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So, uh, so again, thank you for coming on. Um, and I want to jump right into this because there's, like I was saying in the intro, you've done a lot of really cool stuff and you continue to do really cool stuff. So let's start with, um, just your history, you know, some of the things that, that guided you into the world of image making and, and just being a creative, what started you, you know, Matthew Jordan Smith on that journey? Well, to be, to be honest, it was a book, uh, as a, as a kid, I read this book 
It was by Gordon Parks. And uh, it kind of like turned on the light bulb for me. It was, uh, I guess, the, the thing that started me believing that I could do photography as a career and not just as a hobby. Because before that book, it was a hobby. Mm-hmm. My father gave me a camera as a kid and uh, taught me how to process pictures early on and turn like a second bathroom in the house into a mock dark room. And the first pictures I shot, he taught me how to process. So I, I processed my first pictures. And I think from that moment, I was hooked on photography. And then the book let me see that I can make a living as a photographer. And from that point on, I've been doing it all my life and I still love it. I love it. Well, what, that was a Gordon Parks book. What was the name of the book? Oh, I can't remember which one it was because I've read all his books. Yeah. And it was either. Because um, people are, because I'm going to go Google that book. I'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> I had, it's funny because when I met him 20 years later, 30 years later, I had him sign all his books that I had. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, um, oh, no, we will think of it. We'll, of we'll find it later. So I you. Really choice of weapons. There's, there was two. I always go between. I can't remember which one it is. I'm going to say it's a choice of weapons. A choice of weapons. Okay. I like that. I'm writing notes now. <laughs> okay, so so this all this happened. So your sort of introduction and spark for photography happened in New York City, where you hail from, right? Yes. Well, I was born in New York City, and my parents moved uh, to South Carolina when I was uh, seven, eight. Um, so between that time, it was it was South Carolina and New York. Mm-hmm. And then when I became old enough, I moved back to New York, and that was where I started my career. That's nice. And then, you know, before we jump into that career and some of the things that you've done, I want to talk about some of the books that you've written. So you were inspired to get into this uh, from a book by Gordon Parks. And you've written, um, what, at least three books, right? Well, I've done two published and I have a third one that I'm working on now for like the last uh, four or five months now. I've been working on on number three. Okay. And uh, the books are great because uh, my first book, because a book got me into photography and, and changed my life, really. I want to do the same thing with, with my books. My first book was Sepia Dreams, and it talks about 50 celebrities discussing the, the qualities that have made and kept them successful, how they got started in their career, who guided them early on in their career. That was the, the and then also marrying, of course, pictures with those interviews. I did the pictures and the interviews, and uh, that's my first book. I love that, and that's sepia dream. So, tell me, so th- this was your first sort of foray into publishing. So, you you wrote the book, you shot the book, you did the interviews, you you, you did all the negotiation with publishers and all that stuff. How after doing that book was publishing a book everything you thought it would be? It was scary. It was very scary. I, I'd never done a book before. I had no idea of the process whatsoever. And uh, I remember going to a dinner with a bunch of friends, and uh, it was a dinner for friends who had just graduated from Harvard, getting their MBAs, as two friends, actually. And uh, at this dinner, I mentioned for the first time that I was going to do this book to to these friends of mine. And they were all down on the idea of me doing a book that's like, oh, it takes a long time to get a book deal. It was all this negative vibes coming from this group that night. And I left very depressed about the idea of doing a book, but I went home and decided I'd do the book and keep it to myself until I finished it. And that's what I did. And, uh, and then I went to try to get a book deal, found a literary agent, and my literary agent signed me to a book deal in three days <laughs> after we shot the book. Wow. To a six-figure deal also. So um, all those negative you know, thoughts and ideas that people throw at you, it's just them putting their fear on you. If you have an idea, chase it with your full heart because – 
nobody knows your potential but you. Yeah, yeah, I love that because it's it, and then it's also I look at those kind of things as if you if you are strong enough to have a singular focus of something that you want to get done, the obstacles that get put in the way, whether they be physical obstacles or people in your life that you respect telling you that you can't do it. Those are just like hurdles, you know, and the finish line is still there. Those are just hurdles. And if you trip and fall on that hurdle, then you lost the race. Right? That's it. That's exactly what it is. A great after the, the Olympics as well, because that's what life is. Yeah. It's you going through navigating the course. Now, having gone through the process of writing sepia dreams, you know, and you're a published author now and you, you know, you got this successful book out there. Oh, before we get in that, cause I'm going to ask you about this, the publishing industry in general and where that's going with electronic publishing and all that. But everything has changed. Yeah. But tell me Every- about that book. Cause in this book there, it's a who's who, right? I mean, this is, <laughs> this is not, you glossed over it, but this is like, this is the who's who in Hollywood of, in it's, it's African-American celebrities, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, like, who's it in it? Give me, give me a quick list of who's in this book so people can like, oh, uh, okay, I get it. Halle Berry, Samuel L. Jackson, Vanessa Williams, Tay Diggs, um, Lena Horne at the time. She's passed away now. Wow. Uh, so is Gregory Hines. But um, it was just wonderful for me to have all this time and having them all agree to be a part of this book, letting me, letting me photograph them and interview them. And it was Today, it's still one of my best memories of the process of making the book is so incredible. And, and even now, as I work on this third book, the process of making the project is the joy. Um, the result is what everybody sees, but the process is so incredible because it's part of your life, your life memories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's segue that a little bit into um, just what it is to or how it is photographing celebrities. So you, you know, all these names, I'm sure they had just a few different varying sort of personalities oh, yes. <laughs> that you had to deal with. What's it like? Like, say, you know, pick any one of these artists. I know we don't want to call them out, but just generally speaking. How was it photographing celebrities? A lot of people hear, oh, they have all these knees. You got to have, you know, cinnamon colored lollipops in there or they'll they'll storm (laughs) out. You know, is it like that? All the time. It's funny because the ones who are that way, they get all the press. But that's that's maybe like, you know, 10 percent. The rest are just normal people. Once you get past that facade. Mm-hmm. And there is a facade uh, that you have publicists and managers and they, they, you know, put that facade out there for the world to see. But if you get past all that and get to the person, which is what I'm trying to do on all my shoots, you find out it's like photographing anybody else in the world. Um, you must make them comfortable. And once people are comfortable in your space, you can get some great shots. And that's no matter who I'm shooting, whether I'm shooting a, uh, a portrait of my parents or a friend or an executive, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. It's the same obstacles, getting them comfortable and getting them to relax and forget, you know, for a moment, their title, who they are. For that moment that we're shooting, they are a person and we're relating person to person. Yeah, it's just they they have a heartbeat and lungs just like you do, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Any tips that you can give people even, you know, even if you're not if you, if you don't have aspirations to shoot celebrities, if, you know, a lot of photographers are just nervous to shoot 
regular people, especially if it's a, like a model, you know, you know good looking model, you get nervous behind the camera and you forget what an F stop is. And, <laughs> like, you know, aside from just, okay, she's just another person. How do you, how do you make sure that you are in the moment and you are the professional during that whole thing? I think the entire thing is to be, is to be, um, confident number one in your work. And yes, there's the excitement factor, especially in the beginning of your career, when you're shooting a, uh, a model for the first time or a big celebrity for the first time. But the reality of all of that is you're, you're hired because you're good. Yeah. They've hired you because they love your work. And it's time for you to shine. And also to be the director, to not only direct them on the set, but the entire shoot, anything that happens in the set on the set is all up to you from the food to the music to the conversations that happen that's all on you so i spend all my time trying to get them comfortable and that happens way before they come in front of my camera and the lights it starts when they walk into the studio or in the location and at that moment i'm trying to get to know everything i can about them and let them know more about me as well i open up my life to them and talk about things that are happening in my life at the moment um Things that are current, in, in, be it the Olympics or uh, some event that's just happened or even a favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I talk about movies and music a lot. So you put them you, – you make friends. You make friends with your subjects, it sounds Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's bounce back to just the you know, books in general. And we, we touched a little bit on the idea of electronic publishing and e-books and you know, Apple with the new iBooks doing multimedia inside the actual piece. Do you see yourself moving in that direction, or are you, are you going to stick with printed books? No, I, I would love to do both. I think there's a there's – a, when technology comes along, you've got to embrace it. And our world's changed so much. Uh, with, with iPhones and Instagram, it has changed. The game has changed a lot. Now, anybody at one point, you know, it was intimidating to become a photographer. You had to learn photography, lighting, exposure – uh, you know, lenses, refraction, all these things you had to learn. Not anymore. Now you, anybody can become a photographer. It still takes somebody who has a vision, yeah. and that's more important now than ever before, having a vision and being able to tell a story. Yeah, yeah, having a vision, and you hit it right on the head, I think, you know, of course, storytelling. You know, storytelling. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So talk to me a little bit about that. I know you're you're really big on the storytelling piece of being creative. Um, and we'll talk about one of the upcoming projects you have that you're you're telling a story across America. <laughs> telling, That's true. You know, the importance for new photographers um, or amateur photographers. They have the gear. They have the, the flashes. They have the books. They have the Lynda.com membership. Um, but they are having trouble going from okay, I have this cool bag full of brand new gear to shooting. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Once you have all the great gear, and I, I believe you should have all the great gear. You know, I have the latest Sony cameras and lights and everything I can get all the time because I want the best gear all the time. Yeah. But at the same time, you must go beyond that and be able to tell a story with your pictures. Even now more than ever, because anybody in the world can take a picture and make a decent picture and put an app on it or you know a filter on it and make it look cool, that's all well and good. But that won't get you a job or give you a career uh, that's going to last you 20, 30 years or more. 
The only way to do that is to be able to have a vision and tell a story so people can see your vision and identify your look all the time. So you stand out between all the, the now billions of people with cameras and iPhones or whatever. You stand out because you have a singular vision and it stands alone. Now, does the vision, the singular vision, does that translate into your look and your style too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do you, how does. do you develop that? Like, how do you, you know, as a new photographer, how do you say, okay, I understand this f-stop shutter speed ISO thing. I got a reasonable grasp on lighting and composition and people say my shots look good on 500 picks or Flickr or whatever, but I, you know, you couldn't tell my shots from the guy next to me. How do you develop a Matthew Jordan Smith look so that people look at an image and they say, you know, John Doe did that, you know, notwithstanding HDR, when people saying, oh, okay, this guy that does HDR a lot, he did that shot. How do you, how do you establish that look? Crowd. Yeah. The first thing you do is do your research and almost regress. Find out what made you take a picture in the first place. What makes you feel alive? What makes you want to share a picture? Finding out the essence of you. Finding out what makes you feel good. Because we're all different. Yeah, there could be five billion of us in the planet, but we all have a certain feeling about something. If you're, if you're going to a movie and it affects you in a way where you're feeling like, oh my God, I love this movie. What about that movie made you feel alive or made you feel good or bad? And learning how to put those feelings in your pictures. That's how you stand out from everybody else who has an iPhone, camera, whatever. That's how you stand out. It's the only way you stand out. You learn how to put the essence of you in your work. Now, speaking of the essence of you and continuing talking about the books that you've, that you've written, um, you wrote a book called Lost and Found. Um, it's about missing children. So yes. tell, tell me about that and what was, what was the driving force behind wanting to tell that story? In, in, when I was in high school, um, there was a big story, and I, it's probably the biggest story that I could think of at the time, and it was about these missing, this missing child. And the, the child was, uh, was found, and, it, and he, was, he was decapitated. It was a, a horrible story, but it was, a, it was the biggest story of the time. It was John Walsh's son. Then John Walsh went on to make this show called uh, America's Most Wanted, mm-hmm. and it started from his son being kidnapped. And then there were these uh, um, other child abductions that were happening at the time. And it was just a big deal at the time. So... Um, Microsoft approached me about doing an idea of photographing missing children. And I remember that moment so clearly. So I had to say, yes, absolutely. And they sponsored it. And um, I went around the country and photographed families of missing children. I worked hand in hand with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And they found the families for me and put me in touch. And then I went and photographed them. And uh, they sent a writer along with me who did the interviews. And, uh, and we told the story. Wow. And how did that end up? So it was it was a printed book. Was, was there an online component as well? There wasn't at the time. There wasn't at the time. It was a, a book that was just done as an altruistic project. They gave it all away. So uh, Target uh, gave the books away in their stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they gave a bunch to the National Center who also used them for their promotional projects and purposes. It was it was a great project, but it was hard to do. It was a hard project to do. It was emotional, right? Very emotional. Yeah. So then the ne- the next book, um, you are 
crossing the country. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're yeah. traveling across America. You said the working title is The Future Project. The working uh, title is The Future Project. What is that? What is, what is it about? It is literally about the future of America. I am going all over America. I've gone from um, the Brooklyn Bridge to the Golden Gate Bridge from the first state, which is Delaware, to the last state, which is Hawaii, and everywhere in between. Uh, I've done so far 46 of the 50 portraits for this book, and it's photographing the future of America. Wow. And is it, are you trying to capture the essence of the average person that represents that state? I am. I don't want to give too much away yet, but yeah, that yeah. is kind of the... Because I want to know how you represent California. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a wide rainbow of people in California. <laughs> well, California and New York also. Yeah, well, all over the country, right? That's true. <laughs> So, uh, so when when can we expect to see this? Are, are you only got a couple of shots left, right? I'm, I'm uh, hoping it's out by the start of the year or somewhere in the first part of the year, rather. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we're now getting ready to take it to my literary agent and have her start shopping it around. Yeah. Um, when you do a project like this, you put your heart and soul into it. This one's not funded by anybody uh, but me, so it's me oh, working wow. out, of, out of you know all my. Uh, heart and soul putting everything into it and at the moment i can't go anywhere else because i'm out of money but i was gonna say that's a lot of plane tickets <laughs> yeah it's a lot of everything yeah, it's a frequent flyer miles racking up there well it's, it's a lot of everything uh and it's it's uh it's my girlfriend and i doing the project together so it's it's a uh, it's great for us to see the country this way but it's a labor of love yeah. and uh you know we, we're proud to have done so many so far and we're at the very end now it's a great project and uh i'm looking forward to having it done and having it out there and, and be able to talk about it and show the world oh, i can't wait to see it so the future project and then we can for when people want to keep an eye on at the beginning of the year when this thing hits the world should they just keep an eye on your blog or where would you absolutely suggest? and hopefully we'll have a lot of press as well um I've learned a lot of lessons from my first two books, so I'm using all those lessons for this third one. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to get into this. Is I was telling you before we started this. This is a this is my personal question here. Ah. What is it like to be on America's Next Top Model? That's another one. <laughs> that's on my list of things that I want to do. I don't want to be on there as a model. I want to be on there as a photographer. <laughs> well, how do you, how do you get to America's Next Top Model? And don't say practice, practice, practice. <laughs> You just become the best at what you do or just better, better yet, love what you do. And I think they find you. Um, early on, I started working with Tyra and we've been friends ever since. And I've, I've been on the show four times, five times, four times. And uh, three of those times I was photographer and judge. And then the last time I was just photographer. But it's a it's a great process. Uh, it's it's photography. And it's done for for TV. So you can't make it as real as, you know, like Creative Live is you're showing a real shoot, yeah. and that's the beauty of Creative Live. Um, but on a reality show, you're, you're, you're shooting for TV, so you can't do it in the real way you do a real shoot. But it's a fun project to work on. I, I loved doing uh, Tyra's show and uh, being involved in the process and, and seeing it still, you know, have all these legs all these years later. Yeah. Well, so just behind the scenes, you know, give me – as a photographer working on that show behind the scenes, you got to have at least one story of something crazy that I have happened. Stories behind the scenes of Top Model. Um. <laughs> That's, if any show out there for photographers, there's got to be some craziness going on over there. there. There is. It's fun. I won't say too much behind the scenes, but yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I've met a lot of uh, different uh, 
contestants from that show. I just did another one uh, eight months ago in the Caribbean. They have a new version in, uh, called uh, Caribbean's Next Top Model. I, I shot that one in December. And um, that was a lot of fun as well. That's great. That's great. So then, so let's let's talk about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. There's always this pressure um, that comes with doing a reality show and all the people involved. So there's always something that's you know that you can't count on that's going to happen. It's guaranteed. Yeah. 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 Putting, putting humans in the mix, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So so your so tips for shooting women and we see when we watch that show. It, it just looks you make you know it looks so effortless you know you just you put a beautiful woman there you take some shots you have a set and oh it's boom, not that five easy. minutes later you have this beautiful shot <laughs> <laughs> that's that's reality TV that's not reality yeah. the reality is if you want to see the reality watch Creative Live uh, next month yep. from the 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 tenth, the eleventh through the fifteenth and you'll see the real deal what it's like to shoot models that's gonna um, be hot yeah we're gonna have a lot of fun. But it's it's really just making them comfortable. And there's a process for doing that. And it's not just making the models comfortable, but everybody on the set, because it's a team effort. It's the the, the model, the photographer, the makeup artist, the assistant, the hairstylist, uh, the style, the clothing stylist. It's everybody involved on the set that makes it comfortable. Yeah. So I'm I'm really picky about picking the team. I want to make sure that I have a great team around me because that feeling is infectious in the room. If I have a great team, we can create magic. So I'm always looking to great to find the right team, to find a brand new model who has potential and then guide her through the process. Yeah, but it it just reminds me as you talk about this, it just it feels like for a short time, you know, say it's a model shoot that's not on television, just a, you know, your model shoot for a celebrity even. Um, that you are the CEO, right? So you're you're the boss of a, a group of people whom you may or may not know. So all the team dynamics and team building and group, you know, sort of interactions that happen over time in a corporation, you have it condensed down into three or four hours. That's true. <laughs> right? That's true. So you have to be a special kind of person to be able to motivate and keep control of all these spinning plates at the same time while generating great images, right? What, what would you say is the biggest challenge in there, you know, when you're, when you're doing a regular model shoot? I think the biggest challenge is learning how to read people fast and get a, get a pulse on each person's personality and what you can pull from them or what you can't pull from them. I read a book early on in my career, and I probably read this book once a year, once every two years, and I probably need to read it again now. And the book is called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, yeah. And that book has helped me throughout my career in so many ways because the bottom line is you're dealing with people and managing people. And that process, it doesn't matter who they are. It could be a celebrity. It can be the president of the United States. You're You're – Learning how to work with personalities to get a great shot. And it calls for being aware of everything around you, people's personalities, egos, whatever, mm -hmm. and learning how to make that all work together to get the great shot. So once you got the great shot, you're in the studio, you're like, okay, that's it. We got it, everybody. Boom, you're done, right? 
It's I not over, was, right? No, 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 no. That's not over at all. <laughs> then what happens? Back in the days when we shot film, it may have been over. Now, these days, there's a lot of digital manipulation. There's, uh, you know, backing up your files. There's making sure that uh, the sensor's clean before the shoot. There's, there's so many more elements now than before when we were shooting just film. Now, there's a lot more work involved and a lot more people involved. There's now a digital tech who's on the set, who's making sure that everything's backed up making sure that uh, the files are, you know, going over to the client. Uh, there's a lot more involved. There's the retouching. There's um, making sure a client has the correct files, that they have a drive or upload to their FTP. There's so much more involved these days than before. Now, talk about your involvement in that. So, you know, uh, and this is a, this is a, a... – this is this is the way I think things could work for some photographers versus other photographers. Like some photographers might, you know, they build a set like you described, and they have all the people there, and then they, sh- you know, the shoot is scheduled to start at say 11 a.m. They show up at 11 a.m. Uh, the assistant hands them the camera. They walk in, they take a bunch of shots, they hand the assistant back the camera, and they go to lunch, and they're done. And then everything else happens behind the scene. That's not yeah, you. <laughs> that's not reality. That's not reality. <laughs> it might sound good like that, you know, but you can't. I don't think you can have a career last a long time and do just that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, even even Annie Leibovitz, who's probably the, one of the best photographers in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love Annie's work. Um, there's still so much that goes into it. There's the research element before the shoot. And and even if, if you're walking into the studio, grabbing the camera and, and shooting, you need to make a connection with who you're shooting and be involved in the process. And that happens way before you even get to the set. There's that research element that's so important to every shoot. So you know who you're shooting. So you have an idea of the concept. And so you have a well-rounded story idea. That's all happening way before uh, the photo shoot. The research part is a big element involved. And then also making sure that you have control over your image in the end that looks like yours. It's not, it's not like you're shooting film and you could have, you know, a certain visual look. If you shoot digital, you want to make sure that it's giving your look as well. So there's still some manipulation being done to make your files look like your files and not like the five billion other people out there taking pictures. Right, right. Now, are you are you doing your own retouching, or do you have a team that ha- helps no, with that? No, I definitely have a team. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I think it's a different discipline to be uh, a retoucher. I don't retouch at all. Uh, I have people who are great at retouching. I'm a photographer, and I love shooting pictures. I love, love having the camera in front of my face and shooting. I hate being in front of the computer. Wow, no, that's that's great because I it, it's interesting because I, I ask a lot of photographers that and some of them say, you know, absolutely, I don't allow anybody else to touch my images. You know, it's mine from the t- moment I click the image to the, to the final handover, and then I hear some photographers, and you know, it's typically the larger photographers that are, yeah, of course, you know, I, I hand over the raw files and somebody else takes it from there because I segment disciplines and they do it, they could do it much better than I could ever do. So, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Now, and, what and you it, learn over time that you have to like delegate certain tasks to different people yeah. and let people do what they're good at. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Now what what about studios? So you know, the the economy is taking a dive. We've seen oh, signs of life and the overhead with maintaining a physical studio is a lot, right? Now, it may not be a lot for photographers that are commanding large salaries for shoots and that sort of thing, but 
for average photographers that have aspirations of one day I want to have a studio with a front sitting room and my work on the wall and, you know, a cove in the back and all that. Is that realistic thinking these days? I think all of that's changed. I think all of that has changed in a big way. And the lessons from recession, depression, whatever you want to call it, has taught us all that the the, the days of, you know, the big studios I'm not sure how long that's going to last, if it's still around that period at all. Yeah. All photographers that I know of, uh, New York, L.A., are cutting back on those big spaces because that overhead's killing you. Yeah. Now, what about you? I mean, are you, do you own your own studio, or do, I, and how does I, that work? I do not. Um, I go back and forth between New York and L.A., and I always rent. Hmm. So you, you rent spaces. What's the flow for renting a space? I've been in some rented spaces, and they, whenever I go in there, they're amazing. It's just like all the lighting, everything you could possibly want, and you rent it. You go in and shoot it. What's, what's your flow for booking and showing up at one of, those, one of those kind of rental studios? I love renting studios because I can pick the space for that client. If I'm shooting a high-end client, I can go to a very elaborate studio with, you know, um, Everything from masseuse to cappuccinos or what, whatever you can think of, they'll have it there. And if I have that client who needs that type of attention, I can book that space. Or I can book a, a, a very gritty space if I'm shooting a, a music artist. I love to have all these options available to me yeah. just by renting a space that's dictated by the shoot I'm, I'm doing for that day. And then what do you show up with? Do you because they they pretty much have everything you could possibly need from gear to they to do now. props. They do now. Do um, you bring your own stuff or, or what? What's the mix? Some studios don't want don't let you bring your own stuff besides your camera, and some will find you on the camera, which is kind of crazy, I believe. Really, um, I always come in with my own cameras. Got it, got it. And you shoot Sony. I mean, I heard you mention that earlier. You're, yes, you're a Sony shooter. Sony. And, and, and why Sony? Because we, we get accused, you know, I'm going to raise a flag. We get accused on This Week in Photo a lot of not mentioning Sony and Olympus and all those other guys. Frankly, because we just, we, most of us shoot Nikon or Canon. What drove you to, to use Sony? Why, why do you think Sony is, the, is the, the brand for you? For me, it's like always going to the best gear I can find. And I've, I don't believe in staying with one camera system just because everybody else in the world is using it. Yeah. Because I've, I've watched it change throughout my career from I first started shooting a Nikon, then I went to a Canon, and then I switched to a Sony. I keep switching when I think I find something better. I love the, the, the files that I get from that Sony. Yeah. yeah. And how's the UI for you? The, great. The, go ahead, and, and it looks wonderful. It does all these bells and whistles. That doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the image. And that's what I search for. Yeah. I search for a great image, the great files. And I, from what I've seen, my files out of my Sony are far superior. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's great. And which, which Sony do you use? I'm using the A900. Nice. Is that the latest one? I'm not, I'm not. It's an old camera. It's been out probably like a, uh, Three years, four years. I'm hoping wow. it coming out comes out soon uh, to replace it. Uh, who knows? But uh, uh, that's the camera I'm using right now. I love the files. That's great. That's great. I love to hear that. You know, it's 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 good to hear that. You know, these in the end, and I say this a lot. I mean, in the end, who cares about the body they're using? It's about you as a photographer because you could 
you could probably take that Sony that you have and put it in somebody that's less experienced with you, and they'll be like, "Oh, this is horrible! Look at the shots!" And that's because they don't know what they're doing. That's absolutely the with reason. the camera. And conversely, absolutely we could give reason. you, I could give you my iPhone, and you could go out and and blow the doors off of many people. Right? <laughs> so. The camera is only the tool. It's right. the photographer who makes the image. Yeah. Yeah. So I want, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, there's, there's two more things. I want to talk about Creative Live that you mentioned earlier, which is I'm really excited for that. But um, you have this you did this back in March. I think it was you did this uh, Sound of mu- Music um, project thing. Wait, tell me what yes. that was. That was interesting. Yes. Um, I wanted to experiment on my blog where I was showing photographers how to find their voice how to find inspiration. So I took a movie that affected me a long time ago and I dissected the movie and how to look at this movie. So I, on my blog, I went through and talked about watching the movie without the sound, turn the sound off on the sound of music and just looking at the images. Cause that movie is so beautifully shot. So the process was wonderful for me and I think a lot of people got a lot out of it. I got so many responses from people who were going on and just watching the movie in segments without the music on, without the sound on, and really seeing the music, the, the movie for the first time and seeing images and seeing lighting and composition. And it helped my photography and hopefully it helped other photographers as well. Yeah, that's great. And you know, I it's it's I had an idea that that we're I'm actually in the process of doing right now. That's almost the reverse of that, and it's from music. So you know, when you when I listen to music, I get images in my head, and especially when you read the lyrics to certain songs, that you know they just they're saying something entirely different than you thought they were saying. That's true. That's very true. And then then creating images, even with like you have my my headphones on and go out and try to create images with that music in my head to interpret that song, you know, that, that, that it just sort of gives you this framework in this box. So if it's a sad song, you're like, how do I interpret sad or how do I interpret loss or how do I, you know, these kind of like ab- these abstract like topics. That. Yeah. And that's, that's a great exercise to do as well because it teaches you how to show a different emotion. Yeah. 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 And it's hard, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. You know, so like, how do you show that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's exciting. There's so much stuff that you can do to get inspired in photography and experiment and absolutely and push it forward. Um, so let's talk about Creative Live. So that's coming up. When when is that your your Creative Live workshop coming? September the 11th through the 15th, and is I'm so excited about this one in a major way because I'm bringing a friend with me from America's Next Top Model. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> I'm bringing a big model with me from America's Next Top Model, and we are going to do a a two-part seminar on how to work with models. She's going to give it from the the model point of view and teach models how to become better models. And I'm going to teach photographers how to become better photographers and how to work with models. And together, we're going to do a five-day workshop, September the the 11th through the 15th at Creative Live. You can watch it all for free and learn the process and see it for live. You can ask questions as I do the, um, the shoots, as I work with the models. You can ask the models questions. It's going to be a great, great workshop, and I hope you can all come and watch. I mean, and that, that's the amazing thing about Creative Live, and I'm so glad that, that This Week in Photo has a partnership with them because I get to talk about that stuff as if I wouldn't talk about it anyway. But it's just the, <laughs> the idea of 
of I'm a big fan of distance learning and being able to not have to you know book a plane ticket a hotel and all this stuff to go to this workshop and all this stuff it's those workshops are great now you know not to discount them but to be able to be trained by Matthew Jordan Smith sitting in front of your computer <laughs> at home. And it's not, a lot of people think, okay, it's just a webinar. He's going to show me some slides or whatever. These, not at all. they have like a full video crew with people walking around with cameras, streaming this live and taking questions from you. Like if they around say around the world, around the world, they say, Hey, I'm sitting in front of my Mac and I say, Hey, Matthew, I want to know about, you know, why, you know, how do you, how much do you pay that makeup artist or something like that? You'll get the question and answer it for the right. rest of the from world. Us, from around the world, from people from around the world. It's the, the one of the best things I've, I've ever seen. I wish they had that when I was coming up as a photographer so I could watch and learn because here you can watch this, this workshop anywhere in the world and ask questions and I can answer it right there and then say, Oh, you know, what's, what's that thing to your left? I'm like, Oh, that's, uh, that's a C stand and it works this way. Or, Oh, why do you put that there? Why do you have this light here? You can ask those questions. And I can tell you the answer right there on the spot and the entire world can hear it and listen and learn. Yeah. And so the, like you were saying in the beginning, the, the, great thing about these creative live workshops is that if you watch them live, they're free. Right? You can just sit there in real time. And the cool thing about watching them live is you can interact. Absolutely. But you can also, if you don't have the time to invest to watch them live, you can, you can purchase the replay and exactly. watch it whenever you have time. <laughs> so, whenever you have time. Yeah. So it's the win-win. And I love what those guys are doing over there because I think in a lot of ways they're revolutionizing how a lot of distance learning not only photography training should be conducted because it's, you know, if you got the time, you watch it live, you get that, that immersive live experience. And if you don't, you can still soak up everything that was, that was talked, that was talked about. So very true. Yeah. Very true. It's so, fantastic. Okay. So I know that you're, we're running short on time here and I'm going to be respectful and I know you have probably another shoot to run to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about what's next for you. What, what's next, you know, aside from the, the, uh, the project that you're working on, the book project, what's next on the, on, you know, the, the list of cool things that you're building? Ah, uh, I'm working on uh, two personal projects. Uh, one, one is the book, of course, that I'm, I'm working on the future project. Um, and then I'm working on an, another much bigger project <laughs> um, called the Fluid Project, and uh, that's a that's a multimedia project that we're working on, and uh, we we already have interests in Malaysia to open up this project uh, a couple of years from now, but we're also working to try to get it here in the states, which is my dream, and uh, this is probably the most fun I've ever had with a camera in my hand working on this project, and I love it. I think. Uh, as we go forward in photography, I'm always looking to push the boundaries more and do things that haven't been done before. And the, the Fluid Project is that. It's, it's pushing the boundaries. All right. All right. When, when will we see that? Ah, that's a good question. Hopefully in a year. It's a, it's a big project. So it's taking uh, a lot of funding. It's taking a lot of people. But it's coming along little by little. So hopefully within the next year, you'll see it. Great. All right. Well, you know, I'll, I'll end the interview with this, you know, reading your blog, you, you tend to in most, if not all of your blog posts with always dream big. Absolutely. Tell me what that means. That means to always push the boundaries. Don't just try to be, you know, another photographer like Annie or like me or whomever, uh, go beyond that, go beyond 
your dream bigger, dream bigger, push the boundaries because the world's changing yeah. and it's time for things to change. And photography is changing. If we stay the same, we'll be left behind. It's time to push the boundaries more than ever before. Love that. That's great. Great and sage advice. Matthew, where, where would you like people to go to, uh, to keep up with you, to check out your Creative Live workshop, and just to see some of your work online? Oh, they can go to, to my website, which is MatthewJordanSwift.com. From there, you can see the, the tag for my blog. You can hit the blog as well and see what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm working on. Um, also have a store that has videos. The store is uh, PhotographyHelpStore.com. And um, there I put videos and inform- information. I put uh, limited edition prints for people. Um, so I think everything's from my blog, okay. blog and, and the store. Very cool. All right. We'll, we'll definitely link over to that. But, you know, if listeners aren't looking at the, uh, the blog post, you can just, you just Google Matthew Jordan Smith and <laughs> you'll, you'll find pretty much everything you need to know. About. <laughs> so, all right, Matthew, thanks again for taking the time today. It's been, it's been great and an honor chatting with you and picking your brain about this stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. Okay. You have a great day. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you again. You're welcome. All right. You can learn more about Matthew by visiting his website at MatthewJordanSmith.com. And again, check out his workshop over on CreativeLive.com. All right. It is time for that Pick of the Week segment. This is where you guys can pick anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Let's start with Dan Ablin. What is your Pick of the Week? I've got two since we mentioned one, which was IntoTheDarkRoom.com. Great uh, great website for um, getting websites and blogs. Great templates, and they install it right up on your server. Um, Not necessarily the cheapest, but really good progressive stuff. So we are are developing a new site for our photography studio with one of theirs, which is all HTML5. So it's 100% the same on an iPad as it is on a computer, which is great. My other is the hidden blend of power. Excuse me, the hidden power of blend modes uh, by Scott Valentine. That doesn't uh, sound exciting. Book, Wait a minute, <laughs> a new book for Photoshop. So. The hidden power of blend modes. Wow. Right. Well, tell me what that's about. That's I might have to get that. Um, you know, a lot of times when people doing blend modes in Photoshop, they pretty much cycle through them to find one they like. Um, yeah. But there's a <laughs> there's a lot more science to it and a lot more meaning to them. Why they are categorized the way they are. And uh, this is an entire book dedicated to that. So uh, I recommend for people to check that out. Very cool. All right. Thanks for that. Sarah France, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Shoot Q. Um, I have been spending the last week solid probably um, in Shoot Q, just reworking all of our workflows. And Wait, first um, tell us what Shoot Q is. I, I I was going to. Okay, so ShootQ is a is a studio management software, and um, it does so many things. But it basically runs our is the backbone of our studio. So everything from leads um, that come in go automatically into ShootQ, and they can be um, put at different stages, and you can do your lead management through there. But also uh, automatic emails to clients and workflows is the hugest piece because it allows. Um, the whole process of a, a shoot, a wedding before and after to be completely managed with checklists and assignments to, to certain people. Um, 
everything's date driven based on when the shoot was or when the last milestone was triggered. And then it handles all the financial side of everything for you too: contract signing, um, collecting payments, allowing you to, to invoice clients for new orders. And I, uh, there's so many other things it does. It even has like a back end for clients to go and, and have their site where they can see what their contract is and print it and make payments and see what products are in their in their package. So and it's all branded Sarah France photography, right? So yeah, it's yeah. all it's all got custom branding, so you can set up all your colors and and your logo and everything like that. It's it's amazing. Like I, I really don't know what I did before. Actually, I do know what I did, and it was chaotic. I and mean, we had like the Excel spreadsheet from hell. It was just the the world was ending <laughs> yeah i think i remember seeing that spreadsheet <laughs> i mean wow, wow. so crazy. i'm really i i don't know what i'd do without it and seeing the power of it again just kind of reworking our workflows and uh seeing how you can change and evolve your business to remind you to take care of things that you need to do to help move your business forward is just it's amazing so i definitely highly recommend that that product and um, it, it's phenomenal and they have great ways to kind of get you up and started from zero to a hundred. So there's already workflows plugged in that you can either, you can get some of the free ones, you can purchase ones for, you know, $29, $99, whatever, just to really get you up and running. So it's a, it's a really great program and I highly recommend it. Cool. And that's just at shootq.com, shoot and the letter q.com, right? Yep. Very cool. All right. And Mr. Ron Brinkman, what is your pick? So, you know, as we're talking about all of these uh, open platform cameras that are going to be coming out and and apps that can run on them to do various cool things, I kind of decided it was really time to go check out what the hacker community is doing these days with, um, in particular with Canon cameras. That's what I shoot. And there's always been some pretty cool kind of hacks and, and firmware upgrades that you could get for Canon uh, cameras, but the guys that do it, uh, it's a group called Magic Lantern or a product called Magic Lantern, I guess. They've really kind of stepped up their game lately. They've really taken a stance that they're going to produce a professional level, super stable uh, firmware upgrade for Canon cameras. And so it runs on a bulk of the kind of higher end, newer Canon cameras, you know, the 5Ds and the the Rebels and that sort of thing. And it really is actually kind of mind-blowing, the, the level of extension that they've put into this now. Um, hey, give me so, an example of what you can do. So, uh, I mean, the list of features is is like I, my arm long, but, uh, you know, I can, I can do what we talked about last week about how Canon cameras typically are currently don't have an intervalometer in there, so you can't shoot time-lapse stuff. You can shoot full control time lapse now. You can have exposures up to eight hours long per frame if you want to. You can do a ramping time lapse where the exposure will ramp up over time or ramp down. You can do uh, not only HDR bracketing, including automatic HDR bracketing, where it just analyzes the scene and and determines what the brightest and darkest things in the scene are Mm. and just brackets around that. It will also do focus bracketing. So you can actually ramp in and out of focus if you want to do a time lapse that way or if you want to do focus bracketing for shooting macros where you've got extremely limited depth of field and then you want to do focus stacking later on. Um, Everything that you tend to do in the video world has also been moved over to the still shooting world. So like the little zebra stripes that show over exposure, you can get those on your your still readout. You can get 
the different kind of not just a histogram, but uh, you know, focus peaking and various other kind of charts and you know waveforms and spot meter stuff. The spot meter is really cool. It'll actually show you, you know, right in the center of the screen what's the exposure of the thing that you're looking at. So you can use it like a spot meter. You can say, okay, that's you know, eighty percent brightness or something like that. Yeah. Um, Ton, I mean, just tons of stuff. It's, it sounds like uh, Magic Lantern is positioned to be like once, once those, once cameras start, like say Canon added the ability to install apps on your camera, mm-hmm. Magic Lantern seems like they're in the position to be a leader in that field for developing these apps since they're kind of already there, right? Yeah, it is kind of already there, and it's interesting. It's certainly worth thinking about. You know, do you really want apps per se, or do you want just a whole set of menu controls that are just way deeper? And there's a good case to be made for the apps because it kind of wraps things up a little bit nicer. I mean, th- this extends capabilities in so many different directions that it really feels like you've got a new camera that you've got to go back and learn how to use hmm. uh, in terms of the extra stuff that you can do with it. I mean, obviously, you don't have to learn any of those if you don't want to. Or if you just want to use you know, the, the focus uh, stacking or something, then it's easy enough to figure out just that. But there's so much in it. And, and the audio extension is is pretty amazing, too. You can shoot you know variable frame rates you can shoot down to like less than one frame per second to get you know kind of stop motiony kind of a look yeah um, it's got audio meters that aren't on the current cameras it's, you know it's pretty wacky so it's it's a little bit and what uh, what does it cost it, it's free total for free just yeah. download it and install it um and if you download it and install it are you kind of screwed when it comes to if you need to send your camera back to canon for repairs or probably something? Yeah, you'd probably want to uninstall it before you did that, but that's really easy to do. They explain oh, okay. exactly how to do that. It's it is the one thing that I didn't realize until I installed it is that it does rely on having uh, a little chunk of code on the SD card while you're shooting. You know, continue to have it on there, not just for the install project, mm-hmm. uh, process. So you have to have sort of you know make sure you drag these files onto any SD card you're going to be using with your camera. But other than that, and the cool thing that also gives you since they've got that extra space that they can use for that is they have online menus for your entire camera now any button that they have on your camera including the existing features you can pull up a little uh instruction manual for how it works that's cool so, wow. uh, it's just magic lantern wiki.magiclantern.fm i think just magiclantern.fm in general is how you get to it and you know it's not for everybody you kind of have to have a little bit of a, a hacker mentality i suppose but it was a really clean simple install and so far, it hasn't done anything that frightened me terribly. So yeah, and so you've you've installed it. How long have you had it installed? Oh, just I did it this morning. So that's why you know I figured I should at least install it before I made it a pick. But so far, you know, it's impressive and it's a lot of features. Uh, really extend. You know, it's 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 and like if it's, getting, e- if it's that easy to install, what's not to love, right? You can just yeah play with you know, it for I've, a while. Honestly, if you don't like it, take it off. Yeah, right. And, and the only thing not to love is just the additional sort of brain space you're going to have to devote to learning how to use all this extra new stuff yeah uh, it's pretty cool so yeah anybody that that is isn't afraid of doing you know getting their hands a little bit dirty uh should probably check it out and then uninstall you know i'm obviously uh you know i make no warranties that uh, it's not going to make your camera start smoking and burst into flame but. email ron brinkman if you uh, have problems with <laughs> but you know i i like their, their what they're saying is that they want to produce a stable piece of software that professionals will use because it really and you know what it really does is it takes your even your basic rebel camera like the t3i and extends the capabilities as about as far as you can to what some professional video cameras will do so it's pretty cool very cool 
All right, and quickly, my pick of the week is an, a new iPhone app that just came out last week. It's called Photo Shoot List, and it's at photoshootlist.com. And basically, it's a very simple app that allows you to, say you're going out on a model shoot or you're doing an engagement shoot or whatever. Um, like if you're Sarah France, you know by heart what poses you're going to do for that couple, so you probably all need this, but... For the rest of us, you know, we probably get out there like, oh, man, I'm shooting this model, but, you know, I forget what poses I should do. So you can load it up with the poses that you want to do, or you can even load up predetermined types of shoots that you do. Like, for example, if you say you're going to do a low-key kind of uh, glamour shoot in your in your home or something, and you always know that when you do that, you have these seven poses that you hit. So you can load them all in there and then just glance at your phone and go to them whenever you need to. So it's kind of like a it's like a to-do list almost for photographers. And then what the, the developer told me that they're planning on doing is they're going to be adding in the ability to um to purchase shoot lists so for example again say sarah france has a uh, an engagement shoot pose list that she uses all the time that she wants to make available in this app you could do that sarah and then people could then download that and you know have that available or say you had you know sarah france's special holiday poses for christmas type shoots you know you could put that in there and then download it and people would have access to it and you know take a bit of complexity out of shooting people so it's really cool it's called photo shoot list um and it's at photoshootlist.com i saw it on your pick and i downloaded it already by the way <laughs> Did you? But before you start talking about it i was like oh that's so sweet yeah but now that you tell me they're coming out with that capability i love it even more yeah you should definitely contact the developer because he's all into it he'll definitely put your shoot list in there the Sarah France special shoot list. <laughs> so. I like it. By then, right. I'll have one developed, too. There you go. <laughs> totally. Totally. All right. We're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Sarah France, where can people go to find out more about you? Um, you can always go to my website, sarahfrance.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Google+. Okay. And we'll link to all those in the show notes, of course. And Mr. Dan Amblin, where are you at in the ether? Uh, I have that about.me slash Dan Ablin, and then also on Twitter and Facebook, just slash Dan Ablin. Awesome. And Ron Brinkman, I see something new in there. What, what's yeah, this? What am I looking at there? A, I started a new blog. Um, it's called Vision Plus, visionplusblog.com. And uh, it's it's... And I still have my digital composting blog where I'll do longer form stuff, but this is just really an attempt to kind of have a central place where I can collect and do real quick, short commentary on kind of, I've been doing some talks lately on sort of the future of photography, not just from a technical sense, but sort of how it's going to affect society and all the crazy things that, you know, everything from having cameras in your car so it can drive itself to surveillance issues to and, and to some extent you know where's the technology going much further out you know with wacky negative index of refraction glass lenses or you know stuff like that so nice, nice. vision plus blog is just intended to be sort of a easy place to collect all that and i'm just going to be giving really short you know two three sentence kind of commentary and then putting a link to the original article so um we'll see it's it's kind of fun because it's much more lightweight you don't get that sense of oh god i gotta I got to slog through writing a really long sort of piece, and somebody else has to slog through reading it. So this is just kind of a nice little browser thing to 
check out when you get a chance. I will subscribe so, yeah. to it. Very cool. Yeah, any 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 uh, quick updates on Freeze Paint? Uh, Freeze Paint is still out there, and uh, I would love people to keep using it and, and making cool stuff. So FreezePaintApp.com. It's Ron Brakeman's iPhone app. Yes, the iPhone app. And we are still going to put together a contest. We were thinking yep. since I wasn't, I wasn't going to be on the show for a couple of weeks, so we were going to wait till that. And then we had a last-minute cancellation, so I came on today. So yep. not prepared to do the contest yet, but all we right. will. We will do it. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. All right. Very good. All right. Thanks, everybody. It's been awesome. Also, if the listeners want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. And also, please leave us a comment on iTunes with your thoughts on how we're doing. And speaking of iTunes, you can check out the TWIP podcast app while you're over there. It's a handy way to keep up with our shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.